idea of hope. Light up the darkness. I want to share some scriptures with you. The first one, this is going to be the anchor of, of this whole series, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Light the darkness. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I just want to throw something out there as we start this series. If you and I, as followers of Christ, are the light of the world, and if you and I are a city set on a hill, and if a city on a hill cannot be hidden, then why is the world so dark? If the world is dark, the world is dark because the cities on a hill are not showing a light. If the world is dark, it's because there aren't enough cities on a hill. If the world is dark, it's because there's not enough places that are seen and recognizing that we are to be the light of the world and we are to be a city that is set on a hill because if it is, it cannot be hidden. So the first way that we're going to find that we light up the darkness is with hope. Church should be a place of hope because church is supposed to just be a body of believers, a group of people that once were lost, amazing grace, I once was lost but now I'm found, I was blind but now I see, I've been through all of these things, church is just supposed to be a bunch of people that once were lost but now have been found. And because they've been found, they've come together out of diverse backgrounds, out of diverse economic situations, out of diverse family situations, and maybe even out of different areas of the country or the world. And they've come together because they rally under this flag of hope. Hope that we find in Christ. But if the world is dark, then I have to ask whether or not that we as body of believers are shining the light of hope to light up the darkness. Right now, if you look in our world, there are people that just don't have any hope. And quite honestly, there are people that are told by our own society, that are told by people that they shouldn't have any hope. We say things like, that situation is hopeless. We say, that person has no hope. I pray that you and I never truly say that. I, I, because if, if Jesus can walk into a situation, if he can get off a boat, if Jesus can get out of a boat and there's a man who's been possessed by demons, they call him the man of the Gadarenes, and he was given supernatural strength because of what this, these, these demonic... <coughs> spirits would do in him and they said oftentimes he would rip off all his clothes and he would live in the graveyard and they said they had chained him up even to tombstones and stuff and, and he would just break the chains he would just break the chains if Jesus can step out and step into that situation and release that man to the point that at the end of that story he's sitting fully clothed in his right mind there at the feet of Jesus, and people come up and say, oh my goodness, what is this? 
We never thought that we would ever see this guy sitting at the feet of Jesus because his situation was hopeless. But Jesus stepped in, the light of the world, and lit up the darkness and said, There is hope because hope is the person, and its name is Jesus. Romans 15 and 13 says this May the God of hope, get, get a hold of that sentence before we even go any further. The God that we followed, the God that we believe in, the God that we pledge our allegiance to is the God of hope. He's not just a God of money. He's not just a God of giving you things. He's not just a God of blessing. But he is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Catch that. He's the God of hope. And Paul, in writing the book of Romans, says, I pray that, that this God of hope is going to give you all joy. I pray that he's going to give you all peace, and that's going to come in believing. I'm not just going to give you joy and peace. You're going to get joy and peace in believing in the God of hope. Why? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, all right, so the God of hope is going to give you all joy and peace, fill you up with that as you believe in him. Why? So that the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can abound in what God is the God of. That you can abound in hope because he is the God of hope. We often I think too often, simply describe him as the God of judgment or we describe him as the God of the end times and we describe him as the God who's going to sit on the throne and he's going to just you say, here's what your life is and, and you're not going to make it into heaven because you didn't surrender yourself to me. Else. That's how we often describe him. But he is the God of hope. The God of hope. What is hope though? Hope is a confident expectation for the future. And it describes both the act of hoping and the object that is hoped for. A confident expectation for the future. Describing both the act of hoping and the object hoped for. But what is hopelessness? As having no expectation of good or success. Despairing. Incapable of redemption or improvement. Desperate. Incapable of solution. Impossible. I think that in our attempt to follow Christ, sometimes when we're thinking about whether there is hope for something or not, on occasion when saying that there's hope, we think about God. But when we say that something is hopeless or a situation is hopeless, we are looking at the situation and not the God who can work on the situation. Because if I read this definition of hopelessness, I would never describe God as being any of these things. I would never say that with God there is no expectation of good or success. I would never say, with God you're just in despair. 
I would never say, oh, with God, uh, we're incapable of redemption or improvement. And in fact, the Bible gives us something different. It says, with man, things are impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. So God then is not a God of hopelessness. When we reach a point where that our situation seems hopeless and we have nowhere else, we've tied the knot and we're hanging on and we're about to lose our grip, do not despair. In your own strength and your own ability, it may be a hopeless situation. But that is because you are looking at your situation and your ability to impact the situation instead of looking at God and what he can do on the situation or on the person. I've often told you I hear... Dr. Eric Mason, who is a, an urban church planner in Philly, he says, when God really gets a hold of you to the point that when you walk into the community, you don't see the drug dealer, you don't see the prostitute, you don't see the person who's taking advantage in other situations. What you see is you look and you see a prostitute and go, there's someone who when the power of Jesus Christ gets a hold of their life, they will have no shame about sharing the gospel. Because they have no shame in what's happening in their life right now. If God gets a hold of them, they'll be a powerful witness because they already know what it is to be humbled. He said, I look and you can see the drug dealer and you're, you're not looking and saying, man, there's a guy who's, who's out here and he's trying to convince everyone. He's this flack of stuff and all. It's got people running clear across parking lots at wide speed and diving their head into, into parked cars and stuff. That's not what you see when you see the drug dealer then and you're a true follower of Christ. Are you saying, well, Nathan, you're ignoring all that stuff? No. No, I'm not. But what I am seeing that Dr. Eric Mason said is, when you see what the power of God could do in that person's life, well, there's a guy who has no problem at all in being able to communicate, sell, distribute, and organize. So, man, if God got a hold of him and put him into his kingdom, then what's he going to do? Man, he's all about being able, hey, we need to go out. I had no problem hitting up. I'm even sneaky. I'm smart. It's not, people aren't dumb. People are smart, man. They're out. They're figuring out how to get around the cops and everything else. Man, if God can get a hold of someone like that, it goes from being a hopeless situation to being a hope-filled situation. You can't look and say, well, God is a God of desperation. How could God be a God of desperation? He says in his word, be anxious for nothing. Incapable of solution, impossible. None of those things describe God. Here's the three points that we're going to talk about today. Is when hope is misplaced, when hope is focused, and when hope is shared. So let's talk about hope being misplaced. Here's some examples in the Bible. Psalms 33, verse 17. He said, The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. And you go, what on earth does a war horse have to do with anything with us? Well, let's talk about some war horses today. There's people that trust in their money. That's where they find their hope. Well, I don't have to trust God. I don't have to worry about these things because I have enough money that I can buy what I need. I can buy what I Man, let me tell you what. There's diseases that when they strike your life, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You can be the richest person in the world. You can go all over the world seeking treatments and seeking newfangled things. And yet at the end of the day, it, it comes and it takes away. And all the money wouldn't buy another day. 
There's people that they trust in a job. I was in a store uh, last night, and I walked in, and I, I needed some help. And so I walked up, and the person was standing with their back to me, but I could tell they worked at the store. And you know me, I'm an introvert, and I don't like to talk to people. <laughs> and so I said, this guy right here can probably tell us exactly where this is. And the guy turned around, and I said, oh, my goodness, what are you doing here? Because I know he worked at another store. He said, things change, man. I said, things change? I mean, how long were you at this other place? And he said, 14 years. And he said, they decided they didn't need me. I said, oh, my goodness. See, you can trust in a job. 14 years. And then all of a sudden, hey, we don't need you anymore. There's some people that trust in their family. And, and uh, you know, for many folks, their family has come through for them time and time again. But family's not always going to be there. Family's going to pass. Family is going to is going to move away and not necessarily be an option for sometimes in an immediate need. A lot of people trust in their education. Hey, I'm, I, 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 I've gotten this ability. Yet we saw in 2007, 2008, 2009, we saw people that had master's degrees, had doctorates, sometimes go two and three years trying to find a comparable job. Because when things change, sometimes... It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what your skills are. It doesn't matter. You're not in the right place. You're not around the right people. You don't know the right person. You don't hear about it in time. All of your ability. Some people go, well, I, man, I'm crazy smart. Some folks are. Some folks want you to know it. And they trust in that intelligence. Hey, I'll find a way. Most of us guys, we have this issue we tend to say, I'll figure a way out. I'll find a solution. I'll come up with an answer. I'm smart enough. I can work my way through this. We even tell each other this stuff. Hey, you're a smart person. Just keep, stay focused on it. You'll come up with a solution. I'll tell you what your, what your solution is sometimes. Your solution sometimes is you need to stop relying on some of that stuff. And you need to put it before God because all of your scheming and all of your efforts aren't going to get you there. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. God even had to speak to him about people in the church. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. Listen to what he said. Here's why. He didn't say because nobody's a prophet. He said, They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Hey, there's a lot of folks that they're determined. If I can just get to this event that's happening, you know, 200 miles away because there's somebody coming that, man, they've got a prophetic word. They've got something they're going to share. And they trust in that more than they trust in getting on their face before God and saying, God, let me hear from you out of your word. Show me, speak to my heart, and let me see what it is that you're trying to do in my life. And God had to tell them, says, hey, you don't even need to listen to the words of the prophets that are prophesying to you because they're giving you vain hopes. Let me give you an example of that vain hope. Y'all know I can't stand this stuff. Let me give you an example of that vain hope. It's when people get on television or they get on the radio and say the first 100 people to send in $1,000 or $100 or whatever. Y'all know, y'all have heard from me before, but I'm going to preach it every time something like this comes up. I just want you to know. 
When people start, oh, the first 100 people that send in, God's spoken to me and told me that he's just going to pour out a hundredfold onto you. Lie of the devil. If you 101, God's not going to bless you. You couldn't dial fast enough on the phone to get, sorry, you missed being part, part of the 100. You was number 102. Ah, I got to go faster next time. Man, if God wants to bless and if God puts a principle in his word, then I'll guarantee you he's not looking for the first 99 or the first 100. If God gives a principle in his word that he says, if you do these things and you, and you live like this, then I'm going to work in your life in this way. It doesn't matter if you're number one, if you're number 101, if you're number 1001. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Job chapter 27, verse 8, he says, For what's the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? You say, wait a minute, are you saying when God kills my No, it's just we all understand from a biblical standpoint that God holds your very breath of your life in his hand. So when it comes time that you're supposed to pass from this life, then in essence God takes away your life and God moves you from this realm of being into the next. Job in speaking says, hey, what's the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? So a hope that's misplaced, it can be misplaced into money, it can be misplaced into your job, it can be misplaced into your possessions, your ability, your education, all of those things. That is hope that is misplaced. Because I can guarantee all of those things will fail at some point. The stock market will crash. You'll make a bad choice on an investment and your money will be gone. Your intelligence will begin to fade because all it has to happen is for you to, to end up with some type of disease that attacks your mental abilities. Your body may fail. Look, the things that we trust in outside of God are fleeting and they're failing and they pass away, and they disappoint. But what about if our hope is focused? Psalms 130 verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. Steadfast, what does that mean? It never changes. It's strong. It's, it, it's steadfast. It's like it's... It's, if you could picture some of our guys that, that play football, we got a couple of them over here, I know. They play football, man, they get those, you got them cleats on, and you dig in. I could get Lucas to come up here and get in a, get in a three point stance, but he's going, uh uh, don't, Pastor, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> he got in that three point stance, and man, what do you do? I, I see y'all sometimes. They'll, they'll dig those cleats in and get over in that three point stance. Wow, they're trying to get, they're getting in that position of being steadfast. That's the, that's the mental image you should get with that steadfast is they're dug in, they're leaned into the task, you're not going to move me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. So, well, that's the Old Testament. Let's move over into Hebrews in the New Testament. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. 
So we saw in Psalms that he says he's steadfast. He's dug in. He's not going to be moved. And then in Hebrews, it switches over to the focus on us and says, hey, this would be like us looking at each other this morning saying, guys and ladies, come on. We need to hold strong. We need to hold fast. There's that steadfast idea. We need to get our feet dug in. We need to lean into the task of what? Of the confession of our hope. Hold fast to this hope. What hope? Hope thou in the Lord. Don't waver. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. They had this enemy that was coming against them. Why? For it is the Lord your God, He who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. How does hope get focused? Hope gets focused and you can be strong and you can be courageous in yourself and in in your abilities? No. He said, hey, you can be hopeful, you can be strong, you can be courageous because it is the Lord your God who goes with you and he won't leave you. I like, we, we, always, we like to get that second part of that. We always like to tell people the portion of the verse about, hey, you know, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I like, I like when we put the whole verse together. When he says, hey, understand that it is the Lord your God who goes with you. It's not just that he's sitting somewhere and he's off. As you go, it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And he will not leave you. So you're walking along the path and you're going, but God, I'm walking down this path and I just don't feel like you're here. It is the Lord your God who goes with you and he will not leave you. Yeah, but, but God, I'm in the middle of this situation and I feel all alone. But it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He took off with you and he's not going to leave you. But God, I feel like you're a million miles away. But it's the Lord your God who took off on this thing with you and he won't leave you. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not, for I'm with you. Okay, all right. Well, let's go back. Let's, 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 get, you, let's get you focused on this. So in Deuteronomy... It's someone speaking to us about God, okay? It's the Lord your God who goes with you. He won't leave you nor forsake you. In Isaiah, God decides to tell you about it. And God speaks to you directly and says, Fear not, for I am with you. I had my guy tell you that I was going with you and that I wasn't going to leave you. Now I'm going to tell you out of my own mouth. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. If you're weak, I'll strengthen you. If you need help, he said, I will help you. If you feel like you're about to fall, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. 
Don't be dismayed. Don't be, don't be concerned. Don't be frustrated. Don't be, what am I going to do? You ever seen somebody when they're dismayed? It's hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know. I don't. I'm with you. I'm with you. There's those moments where you're looking at it. Oh, you're, we're misfocused hope again, aren't we? I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know where the solution's going to come from. So I don't make that much money. There was your looking for hope in your job. I can't figure out a way to do this. There was your hope in your intelligence. I don't think I even have the training to be able to know. There was your focus on your education. There's nobody in my family that can help. There was going to be your hope, your trust, your misplaced hope in your family. Fear not and don't be dismayed. Why? Because I am your God. You know what? If we were really going to cut to the chase, what we would, what I, we would really say God is telling us, when you get dismayed and you stay in it, it's because you're not trusting in who I am. It's because you're not recognizing that I'm your God. When you get into that and you stay in it, now you hear what I'm saying, because there are times where we all deal with the fact that dismay comes at us. It's how we combat it. It's how we look. Either we wallow in it, or we look and say, wait a minute, I see you coming at me, I see you coming here, but I'm going to fight against you with what? I'm going to fight against you with even this verse. I'm not going to be dismayed because God is with me. Yes, I'm weak, but he's going to strengthen me. Yes, I need help, but he's going to help me. Yes, I feel like I'm falling, but he's going to hold me up with his righteous right hand. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, let me help you with what he's saying here. He says, God decided. He wanted, desired. He wanted to show people so that they would better understand those who were the heirs of the promise, believers, Christ followers, he wanted to make sure that we convincingly understood the unchanging character of his plans, his purpose, what he is going to do. So he guaranteed it with an oath. You hang on to that thought. Verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Let's talk about that for a minute because a lot of people read this verse and have, I say, I have no idea what he's saying. So by two unchangeable things. Here are the two unchangeable things. Let's go back to this first verse to understand this because I want you to get this. It doesn't do me any good to throw a verse out here and, and want you to be excited about something and you're going, I have no clue what the two unchangeable things were. It sounded good. It was some unchangeable stuff. I don't know what it was, but it sounded good. Woo! You know, that's kind of... All right, so let's catch what he said. So when God desired to show more offense to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character. There's your number one unchangeable thing. It's the unchangeable character of God. I mentioned it a while ago. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character does not change. Unlike us, 
where that I could tell you something and I could truly intend to do it and then I could let you down. I could say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you a check for this and I'm going to do this and then something happens and I don't, I don't have pay or whatever. And, and it, it, I mean, that's just that's part of life, right? We're humans. We, there's stuff that, you know, we've told our kids. We probably need to go there. We've told our kids, you know, hey, I want to be able to do this. I'm going to try to do this or I intend to do this and then work calls and whatever else happens and we're not able to do it. Sometimes, it, you know, it's just... We even tell ourselves things. We tell ourselves, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on this. I'm going I'm to change this thing in my life. And, and then it fails, right? It fails because we're human. But God's character is unchanging. God's character never deviates. The Bible says that in Him there is no shadow of turning. You can count on him. There's your first unchangeable thing. Then, it says he guaranteed it with an oath. All right, so if God's character doesn't change, that means he can't lie. That means he's perfect. That means he, he doesn't say, I'm going to do this, and then doesn't do it. So his character is unchanging, and he decides to make it stronger and say, hey, here's the deal. Even though my character is such that if I said, I'm, hey, I'm never going to leave you, I'm not going to forsake you, I'm not going to do any all these other things, or I am going to do these things, my character is such a one sense. I'm going to then make an oath to you. Why? So that by two unchangeable things, the oath portion is important because it is impossible for God to lie. So his character doesn't change, and he can't lie. So unchangeable character, unchangeable commitment to what he has said. He says, by these two unchangeable things, we who have fled for refuge. I don't know about you, but man, there are times. There have been times, and I haven't even experienced some of the things that people within our church have experienced. But I'm telling you, there are times when I have simply had to flee for refuge to God. I've simply had to run to him and say, God, I need you to cover me like your word says. Cover me with your wings in the pavilion and protect me because I, I just I feel like I can't fight anymore. I just need a moment of rest. I need a moment where I can be covered by you, where I can come into your presence. I can, I can just relax for a moment and rest in who you are. I flee to you for refuge. I flee to you for hope. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Hold fast to the hope that is set before us. That's verse 18. Verse 19, he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He's referencing, I want you to see, he's referencing the fact that, that in the old temple, you had a veil that divided off where the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, and nobody could enter into that except for the high priest. And he said, I have this to be a sure and a steadfast anchor of my soul. Remember, we got to keep this in context. 
He said God desired to show more convincingly to Christ's followers that, that he is going to be faithful to his promise. That he's given his unchangeable character as a guarantee. He's given us oath as a guarantee because it's impossible for him to lie. So that when we have fled to him for refuge, we could have strong encouragement to hold on. Hold on. Hold fast to the hope. Why? Because we have this as a sure and steadfast anger of the soul. What? A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Verse 20 says, Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Listen, listen, listen to what he's, listen to what he's telling you. He says, I've got a hope that entered in to the inner place behind the curtain. He says, my hope is tied into Jesus. My hope is in the presence of God. My hope is not found just in, you, you hear me, you hear me when I'm telling you this. He doesn't say my hope is just in the Word. Yeah, you, you hear me? He doesn't just say, well, my hope is in going and getting my Bible, and there it is. Look, without the presence of God, without the person of God and the person of Jesus, those would just be words. He doesn't say my hope is in the Bible. He doesn't say my hope is in a good worship service. He doesn't say my hope is in a good worship song that, man, I felt it, and I had them little tinglys running up my arm, you know. And my chili bumps got chili bumps because it was so good. He was like, no, that's not where he says your hope is. He says, my hope, this sure and steadfast anchor of my soul, has entered into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. He says, my hope is found in God, in the presence of God, in the person of Jesus who entered on ahead of me into the very presence of God, where the Word says that He sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession on our behalf. That is where a focused hope is. Hope is more than a vague wish that something will happen. There's a lot of people that when they say, well, I'm hoping that this will happen, can we be honest enough to say that they're, they're counting on there's a possibility it won't? I hope that this will happen. I hope, I hope that we'll be able to go on this mission trip to Uganda next year. I hope that we'll be able to do this. You're holding out a belief that there's a strong possibility, but not a complete assurance but when we describe Jesus as being hope, it's not a, well, I think it might happen. It's not, I think maybe he's going to do what he said. I hope he does. Say, I hope. I, I, I kind of think he will. It's more than a vague wish. It is a sure and confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and God's future presence. What about a hope shared? See, it's one thing to have misplaced hope. It's another thing to kind of get our hope focused. But what about sharing our focus in this hope? Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writing to the church there at Ephesus, he says, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Why? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Listen to that. He said, I'm praying for you all the time. I don't cease to pray for you. And I'm praying that the Father of glory will give you the spirit of wisdom. I'm praying that he will give you revelation in the knowledge of him. Oftentimes, I think when we start talking about the idea of revelation and things of that nature, we, we get misfocused again. We start wanting some revelation from God on something that's going to happen in politics or some revelation from God to be able to speak something specific into somebody's life or whatever else. Paul's prayer for the people then was simply, he said, I want you to receive from God the Father of glory, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want you to know more about him. I want you to understand his character. Why? Because you will have more hope as you have more understanding. Because the more that you understand who God is and his character and that he doesn't change and that he is that sure and steadfast anchor of your soul, the more you abound in hope. In verse 18, he even went so far as to say, in essence, the eyes of your heart are closed off. You can't see properly. You can't see God properly. So I'm praying that the eyes of your heart getting enlightened. Why? So that you may know these three things that he lists then. Let, let's, let's think about that for a moment. We actually spoke about this song a little bit last week. Remember, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. You think, oh, where'd that come from? Well, how about maybe Ephesians 1 right here? I pray that you would have the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I pray that you would open the eyes of my heart. I pray that you would remove the things that cause me to struggle with having no hope, to struggle with not believing that there's a way, with buying into what people say about me, with buying into what people have said about my family. And I'm not talking about me personally. I'm talking this is what, what comes in your heart. God, I'm not going to receive what my parents said about me when I was a little child. I'm not going to receive what somebody offhand said at work about me. I'm not going to receive those things, but I'm going to look to you and I'm going to have hope in you and I'm going to pray that you will enlighten, open the eyes of my heart that I can know these three things. The first one, that I may know what is the hope to which he has called us. He put that first in his list. I don't ever believe that God just kind of accidentally got stuff in some order. First thing he says, I want you, when the eyes of your heart get opened up, I want you to understand what this hope is that God has called us to. Then, once you understand the hope, notice that the riches of his glorious inheritance of saints, notice that the blessings come after you understand the person. First, you understand the hope 
And then you can understand what the hope can do for you. But too many people are trying to seek what the hope can do for them without knowing the hope. And so that's why they run from one, wanting one miracle to the next miracle, one blessing to the next blessing, because they find no satisfaction in the person of hope. They only are looking for what the hope can do for them. And that's why they're never satisfied, because the satisfaction will not be in the blessings of this life. All you got to do is look at someone like Mother Teresa that goes and spends her entire life in leper colonies. She found hope, and it obviously had nothing to do with the material blessings in life. You can see John the Baptist in the Bible, and, and, and man, he gets described. He's the crazy guy. He's the crazy church fella. He's the guy out in the wilderness, got no building, <laughs> wearing some animal skins, eating locusts and honey, following God, doing God's will. And, and, yet, he, and, and yet he's the, the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He's the one that goes before and is making the way. Proclaiming before Jesus comes. So I, I think so many times we would find that we would be more satisfied with what level of blessing that God has done out of his richness toward us if we found more satisfaction in the hope that is the person. I know that's, that's not good amen and type of stuff. Because then you, start, then you start saying, well, yeah, you know what? If I'm one of those people that, man, you know, I just, I need to go, I need to go get a new pair of shoes. I just, that'd make me feel better. I, I need to go get me a new tool because that'll make me feel better. I need to go get me a new instrument because that'll make me feel better. I need to go do this. I need to go buy this. I need to go see. It's a very temporary satisfaction. Colossians 1, 25 through 27. Paul writing into the church again. Speaking of Jesus and his ministry. He says, of which I became a minister. According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, man, for all of this time, God has kind of kept this. He said the his word has told us, and his prophets have told us that Messiah was going to come. He was going to come. He was going to come. He's going to. And we have we have cried and we have prayed and we have asked for God to send Messiah as the as the Jewish nation, and and we've wanted this, and and it's been like a mystery. And he says, but God has now chosen that He's going to make the mystery known, and He's going to even choose to make known how great among those who were not. Of God's original chosen people. The Gentiles. All of us. Unless you're Jewish. Then we fall into this group. That was not God's chosen people. But yet. God has chosen. To graft us into the vine. And he said. I'm choosing to let it be known. How great among all of you. Are the riches of the glory. Of this mystery. 
which is Christ in you. He didn't just say, which is Christ. You ever, you ever thought about that? If you ever read this here, he didn't just say the mystery is Christ. He said, the mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. He writes to the church at Corinth, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, and says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Listen to this. This is when you talk about sharing hope. He says, Hey, remember when, when Moses went and Moses meets with God and, and he says, God, I, I just want to see you. I just want to see you. And God says, You can't see me. He says, And the reason you can't is because that no man can see me and live. Your, your earthly body right now can't even hold the magnificence of my glory if I let you see me. If I, if I looked at you face to face and, and you saw my glory, you would die. Remember, that's why we talked last week about Isaiah. When he, you know, that whole message last week. That's why Isaiah, you know, says, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die because I have seen the king. I have seen God. See, all right, they knew. Man, if you, if you really come face to face with the true presence of God, face to face, unrestrained, you know you're not going to make it because it is more than what this earthly body can contain. And God says to Moses, you can't, you can't see me because that's going to... He says, but I'll tell you what. Because you're my, you're my faithful father, because you are my, my man to lead my people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take and place you in a cleft in the rock. And I'm going to place my hand over you. Mm. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on by. And then I'm going to take my hand off. And I'm going to let you see me in passing. He comes off the mountain. And his face is shining. Literally glowing. With the glory of God. To the point that it frightened the people. Oh, there's a message in that. See, when you haven't been around the presence of God enough, and you haven't been in the presence of God enough, then when the presence of God shows up, sometimes it just scares you. Because it's so apparent on people that it just makes you nervous. Mm, I could preach that this morning too. He said, but we're not going to, he says, we have this hope, so we are bold. Not like Moses, who when he had been in the presence of God and God had impacted his life, God had given him hope, put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't see. See, because not only, when, when Moses put that veil over his face, not only did those who were afraid no longer see what was happening, they couldn't see the effect, but those people maybe that needed to see, Maybe people that were going, man, it's been so long since anybody was really, any of our leaders were in the presence of God. I wish that I could just see somebody. And he hid that by putting the veil. Maybe there were people that were looking and needed to see and go, what is this that's glowing about you? He said, I have been in the presence of God. He hid me, but he let me see a little bit of his glory. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we follow after. Sometimes I think we hide. What it is that being in the presence of God does in our lives. Because we're afraid people are going to think we're weird because we're glowing with the presence of God. People are going to think we're a little different. 
He says, we've been made bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. He goes on, and, and, and I'm not going to show you this scripture, but he goes on to talk about, he says, that Moses delivered a ministry of death. Moses brought down the law. Moses brought down these commandments. Moses brought this stuff that required you to do this in order to be right with God. To keep these things, and then if you couldn't keep, you had to do sacrifice. So what Moses brought and delivered was the ministry of death, yet his face showed with glory. And Paul then goes on to say, but how much more glory will the ministry of the Spirit have in us? Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's what the Word says. The letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. And he says, if the presence of God in Moses' time, who was bringing about just a ministry of death, hey, these things you got to do or else you're accountable. These things you got to not do or else you're accountable. He says, that was his ministry, but the presence of God showed up. How much more glory will the ministry of the Spirit have in us? So we are bold. How many of us would really say, God, I, I, I really have even thought about that you want to do ministry so much through me. Not, not through the pastor. Not through the preachers. But through all of us. God, you want to so do through me that your presence in my life will be even greater than what happened to, to Moses when his face shone from being in your presence. Because he didn't even have the ministry of the Spirit. But you have given us the ministry that comes through the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Remember, this is the mystery. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You've got to see scripture tied together, guys. This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope, which was who? Jesus, that was where? In you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Look, side note, this is one of the reasons why Christians have such a bad name in the public eye right now. Christian people in, in this age of politics and this time period that's in our society, we get mean-spirited, we get ugly, we act ugly, we say ugly things to people when it comes to politics and all this other stuff. He says here, take that all in, in together. He said, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Don't have fear of them. Don't be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense of anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. I've said it before, I will always say it about this verse. The only reason that someone will ask you for a reason for hope that is in you is if you are put in a situation that should be hopeless. <coughs> Why do I ask about you having hope if you're not in a situation that requires hope? 
We don't like that concept. We don't like the idea that Paul said, but, but he did. I mean, that Peter said, because we see it right there in verse 14 before. If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Guys, we're coming up on this situation, and this is when we're going to have an opportunity to share hope. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. What is this hope? What is this hope that lights up the darkness? It's Christ. What does that mean? How do we, how do we communicate that? What, is it, what does it look like? I think it's pretty much this simple. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He can restore. He can repair. He can refresh. And He can regenerate you. He will never leave you. He will not forsake you. He will meet you where you are, and He will take you where you cannot go without Him. Man, this is the message that we need to go to the world with. To light up the darkness with hope. Jesus calls us to go and light up the darkness. What if we simply stood in a dark world and said that? In the middle of the darkness. Can you imagine? I can just almost see it in my mind's eye. Can you imagine you're just in a pitch black room? It's just dark. It's so dark you can't see anything. All of a sudden you hear a little voice. It says, God loves you. You see a little flicker. It's just a little flicker of light. Jesus died for you. It's kind of like watching a lit. You hear that voice? He can re- restore. He can repair. He can refresh and he can regenerate. All of a sudden it brightens up. The voice gets a little stronger. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. All of a sudden you can start seeing stuff in the room. He's going to meet you where you are. He's going to take you where you can't go without him. And all of a sudden it's like noonday. It's like light is everywhere. If we would stand in a dark world and simply say those things, if we would simply proclaim this truth, there is hope in Jesus. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He can restore you. What if you stood? What if you stood in front of a a group of people that have been through terrible abuse in their lives and you said, God loves you. Jesus died for you. He can restore you. He can repair you. He can refresh you and he can regenerate. What if you stood before a group of people who have been addicted to whatever? Not just to drugs, not just maybe to money, maybe to their job. Maybe to the to the 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 encouragement and the praise of men. And you stood and you said, God loves you. What if you stood before the group of homosexuals? What if you stood before the group of people? What if you stood before those in prison? What if you stood before people that if dad's gone off and left and doesn't want anything to do with them? What if you stood before the group of people that mom disappeared and they never knew in their life and, and didn't? What if you stood before the group of people that were totally, that both parents just gone? What if you stood in the orphanages? What if you stood in the slums of Uganda as we stood? What if you stood around the world in these places and you simply said, God loves you and Jesus died for you and he can restore you, he can repair you, he can refresh you, he can regenerate you. He won't leave you. 
He won't forsake you, and he'll meet you where you are, which is why I'm here. Maybe the reason that we can't see the city on the hill shining light is because we haven't understood that light is most valuable in darkness. If you won't go where it's dark, then light doesn't have near the value. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Light is most valuable in darkness and hope is most valuable where there is hopelessness. Hopelessness.